Out of reverence for God's word this morning, we do want to invite you to keep standing as you're able. But please uh, listen along as I read this morning's sermon text from Psalm 69. It says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting. For my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents." For they persecute him who you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it.
This is the word of the Lord, and praise be to God for it. At this time, I'd like to uh, dismiss all of our children's church volunteers and children to go to children's church, and now you can be seated. We've, uh, we've just been singing uh, our praises to our King, and we've heard God's Word. We've heard this prayer, this psalm uh, of, of prayer to the Lord. Let's continue to pray now. Let's pray together and take just our petitions and our requests to God. Please join me. Heavenly Father, as we just heard from your Word, you you are worthy of all praise and thanksgiving. You're worthy of praise from all people, from all of creation, because of your faithfulness, your, your loving kindness, your steadfast love. And even when we feel overwhelmed with the circumstances of life, hardships and opposition, we can turn to you knowing that you hear us and you care for your people. We pray this morning for uh, this church, for South Canyon Baptist Church, that we would be uh, a people who are bold and confident to come before you bringing our troubles, bringing our struggles, knowing that your, your compassion, your love are never failing. And you meet us, you, you love to meet us in our weakness and our need and to show yourself strong. You are, you are close to the humble and to the lowly. And God, we know there are many in this church body who are struggling. We know there are many who are dealing with sorrow, dealing with uh, depression and pain. And uh, we want to pray especially this morning for our brother, uh, our dear brother Austin, as he mourns the passing of his, uh, his bride of 54 years, Melinda. And we just thank you so much for her life, for the impact that she had on so many. Most of all, we thank you that she knew Jesus and trusted in him as her Savior and her Lord. And, and that now she is finally home in your presence, face to face with her Savior. And we pray you, you be near to Austin and to the family uh, during this time. Give them strength. Give them comfort. Uh, help them to just sense your nearness and your comfort. And God, we know you're God not just of this church and not just of this country, but you're the God of the whole world. And so we want to pray this morning for uh, the nation of Afghanistan. And God, we have been grieved to see the human suffering, the instability, uh, just the chaos in that country after uh, the, the U.S. withdrawal. There And so we want to pray especially this morning for the church, for our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, there. And we pray for physical protection, uh, for those who, who may be in hiding, who may be trying to stay uh, out of sight and not, not draw attention to themselves. God, we pray by your divine providence that they would find a way to, to get out of the country we pray that no matter what happens, you would keep them strong, that you would provide for their needs. God, we know uh, 
from your word, you promised your disciples, your followers, that they would suffer reproach and persecution for the sake of your name. And so we pray that these Afghan believers would be be full of your Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of confidence, and, and a hope that cannot be shaken. Pray that you would glorify your name in Afghanistan, even uh, in the midst of of darkness and seeming uh, disaster, that you would bring revival, that you would bring to nothing the plans and the intentions of those uh, who oppose your church and who would persecute and hate your followers. God, we do not uh, ask or pray for persecution or for suffering. We pray for protection and we pray for deliverance. Uh, But even if persecution does increase, we pray that our brothers and sisters would stand fast in their witness. You would cause the church there to grow in unprecedented ways uh, for the the good of the people there and for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray for us as well, for South Canyon Baptist Church, uh, in light of what we've just been praying, we pray that you would cultivate in us, that you would grow in us the same kind of faith, that our Afghan brothers and sisters are demonstrating now, that you would loosen our grip on the things of this world, the things this world chases after. Give us an eternal perspective. Deepen our love and our devotion for Jesus Christ. Uh, Give us a, a deep joy and a confidence that can sustain us even when our commitment, our allegiance to Christ uh, causes us to be more scorned and more hated and more unpopular. God, give us hearts that praise you even in the most overwhelming of circumstances. Because we know you've set your love on us, because we know you've given your only son to purchase our lives, and because we know we have a hope that will not disappoint. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you're anything like me, um, all the events unfolding in Afghanistan over these last few weeks have been a, a matter of, of sadness, of frustration, of deep concern. You know, as we just prayed a few moments ago, we care about our Christian brothers and sisters there. We want them to be delivered from persecution and harm. And of course, it's, just, it's also been hard just in general to hear about um, allies um, Afghan allies, even, even citizens of the United States or of other countries who are desperately attempting to get out of that country amid uh, the chaos and the confusion. And I, I listened to a, a podcast, a story recently, uh, and it was, it was sharing the story um, of an Afghan man named Ajamal. And he was, he was trying to get his family out. And just to kind of set the scene that they were uh, painting for, for me as the listener, he was literally standing in a canal full of water, uh, knee-deep, calling out and trying to get the attention of a Canadian soldier um, outside the airport there in Kabul. And so he's, he's on his cell phone with an American friend who's trying to talk him through it, trying to coach him uh, on the other end. Now, this, this man, Ajamal, and his family, they're all Canadian citizens, so they have a really good chance of getting out, but of course, at the same time, as you can imagine, 
The scene outside the airport is chaotic. Everyone wants their chance to try and get inside. And so the huge challenge for Ajamal is to make his voice heard. So his American friend is, is pleading with him to shout louder somehow, get, get this soldier's attention, somehow get noticed. He tells him, you know, you need to say these words, yell out, I am a Canadian citizen. And so for hours he stays on the phone uh, with, with Ajamal. He keeps putting the pressure on him. Don't leave your spot in the canal. Don't give up. I know it seems impossible. I know it seems you should just leave and try another day, but you don't have that kind of time. Don't stop calling out until you can speak to that Canadian soldier. And, you know, hearing the, the actual audio recording of their, their phone conversation, you just feel the tension uh, so deeply and just this man's desperate need to be heard, to be noticed, so that he and his family can be rescued, so they can be taken to a safe place, to the country where they, they rightfully belong, they rightfully have a place. Now, incredibly, in this specific situation, um, Ajamal and his family finally did get on a plane, much, much to the relief of this American friend. But, of course, it was a really scary situation. I think, I think that most of us can relate at some level, though certainly not in the same level, but just to that experience of being in trouble, of desperately needing help, and wondering if anyone will hear us, if we, can, if we can make enough noise for someone to notice. And, you know, maybe the person that we need to, to hear, to notice us, maybe it's our spouse or a parent, maybe it's a boss or a supervisor, Maybe for some, you're feeling torn between the fear and doubt on the one hand and the hope on the other hand that, that God would, in fact, hear your prayer and, and, in fact, do something for you. Well, the psalm that we're looking at this morning, the psalm you heard read, Psalm 69, it's a prayer in the midst of trouble it's a, it's a cry, a desperate cry for salvation and justice. Um, if you want to look that psalm up in your Bible, Psalm 69, this is a desperate cry to the God who hears. So Psalm 69, this is a psalm of David. We don't really know the specific occasion for this psalm, but it's, it's very relatable uh, for any of God's people who who are seeking to live a life of faithfulness and yet find themselves suffering or unfairly attacked. And it gives us a model to follow that even in our most desperate hour, we, we can and we should bring our troubles to the Lord, our sorrows to him, for he will hear us. His heart is drawn out to us to, to strengthen us and to save us. And on the other side of the struggle, we will praise God for all that he has done. And so really the main point to, to just try to summarize the idea that David wants us to hear, um, I, would, I would put it this way, would be bring your cries for salvation and justice to God. For you will again praise the one who hears and cares for you. Bring your cries for salvation and justice to God. For you will again praise the one who hears and cares for you. And so to start out with, in kind of the, this big first section of the psalm, we are encouraged, bring your cry for salvation to God. 
And what we're going to see in this, these, these first 21 verses, really, is first is the cry for salvation from unjust persecution in verses 1 through 5. And then in the next verses, 6 through 12, the emphasis is on bearing reproaches for God's sake. And then in verses 13 through 21, bringing those reproaches to God in prayer. So just look again with me again at, at verses 1 through 5, this, this cry for salvation from unjust persecution. David writes, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. And you know, in these these opening verses here, the the crisis uh, is just tangible. It's very immediate and present. He says, I sink, present tense, the flood sweeps over me. You know, sometimes trials can, can seem so intense that we feel suffocated by by everything, surrounded by our troubles. And maybe you have experienced this. Maybe you're experiencing this uh, right now in your life. And David is, is desperately waiting, waiting for God to save him. We also learn in these verses that, that David is persecuted unjustly. He speaks of being hated without cause, attacked with lies. And yet at the same time, in verse 5, we see that he recognizes his own folly, his own sins. He knows nothing is hidden from God. God sees them all. And I think David's admission of his own sin at this point in the psalm is an important reminder for all of us as we approach prayer. And, and the reminder is this. On the one hand, don't bring your complaints and petitions to God without acknowledging your own sinfulness. But then on the other hand, don't let your own sinfulness hold you back from bringing your complaints and petitions to God. You see, on the one hand, if, if, if we fall into the trap of, of coming, our complaints, our, our cries for vindication, and yet not acknowledging our own sin, then we're, we're blind to that, and we may uh, be arrogant and yet, on the other hand, if, if we're so aware of our own sin that we don't even come to God and bring our complaints and our petitions, uh, we miss out on the blessings and on the help uh, that he will give us. So we have to avoid both of those traps. David knows he's sinful, but he doesn't let it stop him from bringing his troubles to this gracious God. And then in the next verses, 6 through 12, David describes his, his experience of bearing reproaches for God's sake. Uh, before we actually get to his reproaches for God's sake, the first thing we observe is David pleads with the Lord, don't let me bring shame or dishonor to your people. In verse 6 he says, Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. You know, this is a sobering reminder that as, as Christians, as members of a church body, 
You know, none of us lives independently or in isolation. None of us is without sin, as, as we're reminded in 1 John 1, 8. And, you know, the sins that we commit always affect others, whether that's family members, whether it's our church community, uh, so many other connections and relationships that we have. And that is why our fellowship as committed members of South Canyon Baptist Church is so important. God designed the local church to be a community that's radically different from anything else on this earth, where we can be honest and vulnerable about our weaknesses, about our sin, and be encouraged and supported in putting to death the old sinful nature and and living as new creations. And so as members of this this church, we're meant to corporately, as, as a whole, to represent Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so we should have a holy fear of bringing dishonor to our Savior. And of course, when it comes to that corporate witness as a church made up of families, made up of individual members, we also need to remember there's more than one way of bringing dishonor on the church, on Christ's bride. Now, our minds often jump to scandalous immorality involving sex or money, and, and those are serious temptations, serious dangers we should all be on our guard against, and we're instructed to confess our sins to one another to keep from going down those paths. But, you know, if we read our New Testaments really with our eyes open, it's, it's going to become crystal clear that, that we also bring disrepute on Christ's church if we are characterized by, by things like arrogance or rudeness, if we, if we exhibit dehumanizing attitudes or, or hateful speech towards people who disagree with us on political issues or social issues or theological issues, if, if we turn a, a blind eye to, to injustice or abuse in our community and ignore the suffering of the weak, even, even when we have the power to act on their behalf. Because, you know, our Savior was, was full of grace and truth. He was gentle and compassionate towards sinners, even while he was zealous for righteousness and holiness. And so, brothers and sisters, if we don't reflect his character in all things, we misrepresent him, even if we claim to be acting and speaking in his name. And so, like David, we should abhor the idea of bringing reproach to God's people. But we also have to expect that we will suffer reproach as God's people. So David goes on to say, you know, in verse 7, it's for the sake of God that he has borne reproach. He's estranged from his own brothers, in verse 8. And his humble repentance has become an object of scorn, in verses 10 and 11. Uh, listen to the words that he, that he uses in verse 12. He says, I am the talk of those who sit in the gate. You know, and the gate is like the, the heart of the city where all the important business and decisions are made. Um, the drunkards make songs about me. <laughs> you know, this sounds a lot like, in our day, cancel culture. You know, everyone is talking about him, mocking him. You know, what this would be the equivalent today is, is you've become a trending topic on Twitter. And there's insulting memes being made about you. You know, there's really nothing new under the sun, whether it's here thousands of years ago 
or in the 21st century. And what should we, what should we think about this? Okay, on the one hand, certainly, we should, we should be concerned about uh, a mob mentality taking over. We should, we should advocate in the, the places that we have any influence. We should advocate for, for moderation and not, not rushing to harsh judgment, especially based on just a single comment or a, or a single uh, social media post. But you know what? When it comes to bearing scorn or reproach or the fear of being canceled— we need to face the reality that Jesus promised us nothing less. If we look at 1 Peter, um, multiple different places in his letter, uh, 1 Peter 2.20, Peter writes, If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And then Peter points to Jesus as our example in, in uh, 1 Peter 2.23 he reminds us, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And then later on in the letter in, in 4.15, Peter warns, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What does he mean, glorify God in that name? Remember, people were using, uh, the word Christian is not found many places in, the, in our Bible, but this name Christian was being used as an insult, as a, uh, as a way of mocking uh, believers in the early church. And Peter says, you know what, glorify God in that name. Embrace it. You are associated with Jesus Christ. What Peter wanted to emphasize is that if we're going to suffer, if we're going to be canceled, let's be canceled for Jesus and not because of our own stupidity. Amen. So Christian, if you're faithfully following in the footsteps of your Savior, reproach will come about because of that association with Jesus. He himself was rejected by his own brothers. You know, they said he was out of his mind. They came to uh, try to take him home. They did not believe in him. When we visibly demonstrate true humility, like, like David was describing here, through repentance and sorrow for sin, then that will be mocked and scorned by the world. Maybe it'll even be scorned by some uh, from within the church, but nothing should deter us from imitating Jesus, from being humble and meek and compassionate followers. Now, another thing that's really important to notice in this section is, is the beginning of verse 9. And you may recognize these words, but the beginning of verse 9 says, For zeal for your house has consumed me. You know, like so much in this Psalm 69, this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus was a, a descendant of David, and he was born a thousand years later. He is the ultimate faithful Israelite, the one who suffered reproach and scorn for his commitment to please God and his intense zeal for the worship of God. And so in, in John chapter 2, where there's this account of Jesus cleansing the temple, driving out the animals, turning over the tables of the money changers, we see just on full display his, his all-consuming zeal for the glory and the worship of God. And so then in John chapter two seventeen, he writes, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. You know, and, and part of what's going on in this story is Jesus 
is outraged because the Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish God-fearers, the non-Jewish worshipers, they're being obstructed, they're being blocked from, from coming to the temple to worship and pray. The money changers have set up shop in the court of the Gentiles, the place specially designated for the Gentiles to offer prayer to the God of Israel. And so if you're here today and you're maybe a seeker, just kind of questioning, exploring Christianity, maybe you're a skeptic when it comes to the Christian faith, first of all, we're just so thankful that you've joined us and and you're welcome here. I hope you can perceive the heart of Jesus, that when he fulfilled these words written by King David, his, his zeal was for his heavenly father's house, the temple. But he was thinking specifically about God's design for the temple, as it's described in in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 56, God's design for his temple to be a house of prayer for all peoples, for foreigners, for outcasts, for outsiders. And and Jesus' disciples ultimately came to understand that, that God's vision for the church, for the temple, in the end, wasn't even a building at all, but it was a community. It was a people redeemed and rescued from the power of sin and gathered from every tribe and tongue and nation on earth. And so Jesus' zeal was for the inclusion of people who were far off, for the marginalized and the rejected to receive an invitation to draw near. That is the heart of Jesus. And if you want to know that heart better, I would encourage you just to read more about him. Maybe start with the Gospel of John and simply come to God's word with an, an open mind and a willingness for God to open your eyes. And if you need a Bible, please just take, take one of those blue Bibles uh, in the pew there. We'd love for you to have that. And South Canyon Baptist Church, may we have a zeal for God's house, for the worship of God, for people to be brought from every tribe and tongue and nation into his kingdom. And may we, like our Savior, be radically protective, not of our American culture, not of our our way of life, not of our, our, our political tribes or affiliations, not even of the freedoms that we enjoy, but may we be the most protective of the biblical, Christ-exalting, gospel-driven worship of God in this church and not allow anything else to steal away our affections and our passion for his glory. And so then in these next section of verses, 13 through 21, we've, we've heard about David bearing reproaches for God. Now we see bringing reproaches to God in prayer. Again, this is our model for dealing with reproaches, persecution, opposition. Where can we go? Where do we take these things In verse 13, David says, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, and an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. When he says, as for me, this is in contrast to the ones persecuting him. He doesn't respond in kind. He turns to God. His words are directed to God. And he rests in God's timing. At an acceptable time, answer me. His trust is in the character of God, in the steadfast love, the saving faithfulness of the Lord. And so we notice that in in verses 14 and 15, the mire and the flood, they're there again. They're not quite so immediate and present as they are in verses 1 and 2. 
Whereas before he said, I sink in deep mire. Now he says, deliver me from sinking. And whereas at the beginning he said, the flood sweeps over me. Now he says, let not the flood sweep over me. There's a certain, there's a certain distance, a certain separation now. David asks that these things would not overwhelm him. I think that's the power of prayer and of, of bringing our troubles and our needs to God. And, and yet, still there is no question that, that all these things, the shame and the, and the reproach, is taking a heavy toll. Uh, when, we, when we look at his words in verse 20, reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. These words of heartbreak and despair, asking for sustenance and getting poison instead, pleading for life-giving water and, and being given sour wine. You just feel this, this rising sense of, of the injustice of how, how cruelly he is being treated. Who, who can make things right? So, you know, in, in this whole big opening section, verses 1 through 21, we've been encouraged, bring your, your cry, your desperate cry for salvation to God, all the reproaches, all the sorrow in prayer. And so then next we're going to be encouraged, bring your cry for justice to God. And that's point two. Bring your cry for justice to God. We see this in verses 22 through 29. And you heard this read earlier, but I'm sure you noticed, you know, the tone here, is in many ways kind of shocking to us. And maybe we, we don't know what, what to do with it. Verse 24, the words, pour out your indignation upon them. Let your burning anger overtake them. May there can't be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. It says punishment upon punishment in verse 27. And he asks that they be blotted out of the book of the living in verse 28. But, you know, here's what these verses remind us. It is good and it's right to petition God for justice. What's wrong is for us to seek revenge or to take justice into our own hands. But it's right to long for the day when all wrongs will be made right. When the wicked who, who persecute the weak and prey on the vulnerable will be brought to account and Christian, perhaps you're tempted to think, well, there's, there's no place in, in the New Testament thinking for, for this kind of thing. The, the gospel is all grace and forgiveness. But here's the thing about the gospel, and we, we must not forget this. No sinner is, is too bad. No one is too far gone that God cannot redeem and save and forgive. But this gospel it displays both God's mercy and his justice. The cross of Christ is a glorious demonstration that God is, is more merciful than we could ever hope for or imagine. But it also demonstrates that he is unfailingly just. His justice will never be mocked. It cannot be escaped. Sin will not be swept under the rug. It will be dealt with. And even a passage like this, as jarring as it is, verses 22 through 28, it could serve as a warning to, to wake up the sinner, whether that be in, in ancient Israel or whether it be today in 2021, and cause someone to recognize their need for a Savior. Because there's good news. 
the most wretched sinner who repents and turns to God can be forgiven. And his sin justly will be condemned and and fully paid through the death of Jesus Christ. But the warning, the warning of this passage is for those who spurn this good and patient God, who reject the gracious offer in Christ, those who will not repent. There will be justice in the end. And, you know, there's a reminder of this, a very profound reminder in verse 25, which is quoted in in Acts chapter 1, verse 20. May there can't be a desolation, let no one dwell in their tents. The apostles apply this verse, quote this verse, in reference to Judas Iscariot, the disciple who betrayed his master out of greed, who allowed Satan to, to control him, and who never repented. So Christian, you and I are called to pray for our enemies, that God would grant them repentance, that they would receive the same mercy that we've received. And we can also rest in the truth that we serve a God of justice. And when we are wronged or persecuted, we're treated unjustly, we can turn to him with all of our our pain and sorrow. It's what we must do. And we can go to sleep at night knowing that our God will make all things right. David's shown us the importance in the here and now of bringing our cries for salvation and for justice to God. And then finally, in these closing verses of Psalm 69, he gives us hope for the future. And that's point three. For you will, again, praise the one who hears and cares for you. Bring your cries for salvation and justice because you will, again, praise the one who hears. He hears and he cares for you. So in these, these last verses, this final section, David's bringing praise to God with songs of thanksgiving. He talks about praising God's name with a song, magnifying him with thanksgiving. He says that the humble will be glad when they see this. Their hearts will revive as they know and are reminded that God hears the needy. And then David concludes with a call for for all of creation to praise God because God will save his people. He will give them security and safety in his presence. You know, as Christians, we have a reason to praise uh, that outshines all others. And we have a sure and solid evidence that God hears us and cares for us, that, that just demolishes all opposing arguments. And you know what? That's found in the good news of Jesus Christ. Because as, as I've already mentioned, you know, along with, with Psalm 22 and Psalm 110, this Psalm 69 is one of the most quoted psalms in all the New Testament. It, it describes David's experience and it gives, it gives us a model to follow but it's ultimately about Jesus, the greater son of David. You see, Jesus experienced the thirst that we rightly deserve for having forsaken the fountain of life. On the cross, Jesus bore the agony of reproach and the shame that should have been ours. He bore the just judgment that we had earned as his enemies. Because who are we in this psalm? We are the ones who reproached him. So we see in verse 9, who hated him without cause from verse 4. The ones who broke his heart there in verse 20, who gave him 
no comfort and who, who deserve God's burning anger, as described in verse 24. It was our sin that put him on the cross. And yet, Jesus did not call down the curses of verses 22 through 28 on the ones who nailed him to that cross. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We deserved to be overwhelmed by the flood, to sink into the mire, never to see light again. We didn't deserve salvation, and yet Jesus allowed the waves of God's justice to crash over him so he would be our shelter and we would find rescue from the storm. And you know, as, as he hung on the cross, Jesus thought of this psalm, of Psalm 69. In, in, in John's Gospel, he tells us that Jesus knew that his, his work, his work of atonement, his sacrifice was finished. And so to fulfill the words of Scripture that had been written down in Psalm 69, Jesus spoke the words, I thirst. And then after being given the sour wine, as had been foretold a thousand years before, Jesus spoke the words, It is finished. And yet the story doesn't end there. Just as, just as David prayed in Psalm 69, 29, when he said, Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. Jesus was set on high and exalted. God raised him up from the dead, proving that he'd conquered sin and death, proving his victory. And because of that victory, the humble and the needy can be glad because our risen Savior has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He reigns in heaven and one day will return to bring justice, to make all things right, to bring his saints into his heavenly kingdom in order to dwell with him forever. Now, friend, if you've never believed this good news, put your trust, your faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, I would just urge you, do it today. Turn to him and believe in him and follow him. And we would, uh, any one of us here would love to come alongside you, pray with you, encourage you in that. Uh, Come and talk to myself or Pastor Tanner, one of the elders or even someone who might have brought you here. We would love to come alongside and encourage you in that. And Christian, when you bring your sorrows, your injustices, your pain and agony to God, you can know without a doubt that he cares and he understands because in the person of Jesus Christ, he has walked this path of suffering before us. He endured it all and infinitely more And he did it for us so we could be safe and restored and accepted, called brothers and sisters of the King. In Jesus Christ, God incarnate himself endured our agony and reproach and injustice so that we would never ultimately be overwhelmed by those things. And so we can praise him now, even when we feel desperate. We can bring our troubles to him now. And we can know that one day the night will be no more and we'll praise him in the the bright morning of his glorious kingdom along with all of creation and along with all of the saints who dwell in the city of God in absolute security and peace. That is our hope. Let's pray together.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, this psalm of David uh, that points us to David's greater son, to Jesus Christ. And we are in awe of, of, of even just the, the tiniest glimpses, the tiniest rays of light that have shone forth today uh, through, my, through my attempts his glories are, are unending and unimaginable. And we just pray that, that we would be able to grasp uh, even an inkling of, of the amazing grace and mercy, the amazing power and glory of, the, of Jesus Christ, uh, who, who displays all of your glory and goodness to us and for us. Thank you. Uh, thank you for this time, and thank you uh, that we can hear from your word, and we pray your spirit just continue to apply it and use it to transform and change us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.